Turn in your Bibles then to John's Gospel, chapter 13, as we look at this final night Jesus spent with his disciples, the night that changed everything. One of the um, unfortunate, I'm going to use that word, unfortunate products of our culture is a thing called voicemail. And um, uh, I, I guess it's okay, but you know, it's, it's particularly disconcerting when you want to talk to a person and all you get is a message in a corporation, a company, and press this, press that, and you, you, know, you know there's people there, but they're not picking up. The little voices are doing all the stuff for them. And so I got this sent to me. What would it be like if you're trying to talk to God in prayer, but heaven installs voicemail? (laughs) Imagine praying, but getting this. Thank you for calling heaven. For English, press 1. For Spanish, press 2. For French, press 3. For all other languages, press 0. Please select one of the following options. Press 1 for requests. Two for Thanksgiving, press three for complaints, press four for all other inquiries. I'm sorry, all of our angels are busy helping others right now. However, your prayer is very important to us and will be answered in the order it was received. So please stay on the line. If you would like to speak to the Father, press one, the Son, press two, the Holy Spirit, press three. To find out if a loved one has been assigned to heaven, enter his or her social security number and then press the pound key. If you get a negative response, try area code 666. (laughs) For reservations at my father's house, press letters J-O-H-N, then 316. For answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, the age of the earth, and where Noah's Ark is, please wait till you arrive. (laughs) Our computers show that you have already prayed today. Please hang up and try again tomorrow. The office is closed for the weekend due to the observation of a religious holiday. Please pray again Monday after 9.30 a.m. If you are calling after hours and need emergency assistance, please contact your local pastor. Have a blessed day. Now, the truth is, whenever you have a relationship with God and you call on Him... He will talk back to you. He will answer you. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, the Lord says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. God answers our questions. He answers our prayers. Now, we may not like His answers, but He always answers the prayers of His children who are in right relationship with Him. He may answer you yes when you ask him. He may answer you no when you ask him. Or he may answer you, and this is the dreaded answer, wait. Wait. I don't want to wait. But we're sometimes called to do that. God has answers for our questions. Where? Well, the Word of God. Principally today, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, but he usually uses The already written Word of God. David wrote in Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect. Tamim is the Hebrew word. Complete. Whole. It has everything you'll ever need to find out about what's going on and issues in this life. 
The word of the Lord is perfect. We come now in chapter 13 to a conversation. A question and answer, really, between Peter and Jesus Christ. The master and the fisherman. Two men at this table, even though there are more that are gathered around. We like that idea. Don't we? we? We would love to have what the disciples had. We would love to have a dinner conversation with Jesus Christ. Imagine talking with Jesus over the table. A cup of coffee, a meal, and you could ask him anything that was on your heart. The Barna organization actually did a survey. They said, if you could ask God any question you wanted answered and you knew he would give you the answer, what would you ask him? Of course, the overwhelming majority was, why is there suffering and pain in this world? Peter's questions were more personal than that. If I were to paraphrase Peter, he is saying, Lord, why is there pain and suffering in my world? I don't want to be inconvenienced with the plan that you have coming up that you've mentioned about. We're about to read this section again. And uh, as we do, keep this in mind. It is not a private conversation. And that adds new light to it. It's a public conversation. The other disciples are listening to this. We know that Peter is not next to Jesus at the table because in verse 24, Peter has to motion to John, who's sitting next to Jesus, ask him who's going to betray him. Now, instead of motioning, Peter just like Peter, speaks up, interrupts the meal for a second time now. Why? Because Jesus has just given information that is just too much to take without speaking up. And so, he does speak up. And let's go back to verse 31 for the sake of context, and we'll get into our verses. When he had gone out, that is, Judas... Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. And glorify Him immediately. Little children, I shall not be with you, or I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek Me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why? Can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, remember, he's saying this in front of all the disciples, The rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Two questions, two answers. We know that because there's black letter, red letter, black letter, red letter. (laughs) Peter asks the question, Jesus answers him. Peter asks another question, Jesus answers. 
So we have questions and answers. That's what this really revolves around. Questions from a confused disciple. Answers from a very confident, sovereign master, Messiah, Lord. We already know this about Peter, do we not? That Peter was usually the first in the twelve to speak up, to voice his concern, to interrupt, to act impulsively. We've already covered those scriptures. We also know that Peter was the name that Jesus gave to him. He was renamed by Jesus. His original name was Simon. Shimon is the Hebrew word for listening, hearing. And that's why it's often rendered an obedient person. Somebody who who listens and does it. However, that's Hebrew. In Greek, the word Simon means flat-nosed or pug-nosed. So it could be that Jesus was simply doing this guy a favor, changing his name so that he wouldn't get the brunt of all the jokes. Hey, flat-nosed. But probably knowing Jesus, he changed his name because it was insight into his character. What is the name that he got? Kephas is the Hebrew. Cephas, we say. Or Peter, Petros. Both words mean the same. A rock, a stone. I like that better than pugnose, frankly. A stone, a rock. It's more masculine, you see. But it's also very insightful into what kind of a guy he was. A rock, a stone, firm character, hard-headed, crusty individual. So you might say we have a dialogue here between two rocks. Peter, Rocky, the man who's crushing under the weight of confusion and the rock of ages the solid rock, Jesus Christ, who has the answers. The first question is a question, where, Lord? The second question, why, Lord? Let's look at it. First question is put this way. Lord, where are you going? Now, that's a very um, a personal question. I mean, uh, Peter was focused on Peter. There was one issue at hand. Jesus Christ is leaving. Now, we read the context. And we remember what Jesus has been speaking about. Why is it, of all the things Jesus has just spoken about to his men, that Peter focuses in on this? Why didn't Peter say, Lord, that glorifying God stuff, I want to do that. Show me how to glorify the Father. Or that love stuff that you talked about. That we should love one another like you love us. I have a problem with that, Lord. Teach me how to do that. No. The one thing Peter focuses in on is that little statement sandwiched in between glorifying God and loving each other. And that is, oh, I'm leaving. And Peter jumps all over that. Why? Because it concerns Peter's immediate well-being. That's why. You're going where? That's his first question. Where, Lord? It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's, um, it's as if he's saying, uh, Lord, uh, all, all that spiritual stuff you've been talking about, glorifying God, love, that's cool. But what I really care about is, is me. I don't want you to leave me. When I was a kid, 
and my parents would go out to dinner or they'd go on a vacation and sometimes they would go on a vacation alone. Rarely, but they would sometimes, like one time they went to Hawaii. I didn't like it. Now, as I grew older, I liked it. <laughs> but there was a period of time where, where I felt like this. Where are you going? When are you going to be back? What am I going to do while you're gone? What am I going to eat while you're gone? (laughs) In other words, life for me is really good when you're around to take care of me. Of all the things that Jesus spoke about so far in that upper room, Peter doesn't like the fact that he will be inconvenienced by Jesus leaving. I think we do this to God sometimes. We do not always listen as God is speaking, whether in a sermon or when we read a book. We often come with an agenda. We hone in on one particular thing that can sometimes drown out God's voice. There was a guy, he decided, this is it. I'm going to watch my diet. No more sweets. Ever been there? Well, he made that little commitment. He told people in his office. And he even, he was serious. He even decided he wasn't going to drive past his favorite bakery because he knew it would be too tempting. One day he comes to work with a huge coffee cake, smile on his face. And he got scolded by all the people who worked with him. And he said, oh, no, 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 this is a special coffee cake. You see, as I took my detour route today, I did notice another pastry shop. And so, as I drove by and looked in the window, there was this coffee cake there, and I prayed. I said, Lord, if it is your will that I buy that coffee cake, I pray that I will find a parking space directly in front of that bakery. And wouldn't you know it, the eighth time around the block, there it was. There's a guy praying... He wasn't listening to God. He could care less what God would say at that point. He wanted that coffee cake. He was honing in on one thing. I'll never forget teaching a message on trusting God. And someone came up afterwards and said, but how am I going to pay my rent? That's a real issue. It's a real problem, but... Trusting God. God wants to speak to us through His Word, through a message. And I figure it this way. If God is going to make sure you're going to get from earth to heaven, he can worry about your rent. He's going to take care of everything in between. But sometimes we're not listening as God is speaking, even as Peter wasn't listening to the whole message, just, where are you going? Second question, verse 37. It's not, Lord, where? It's, Lord, why? Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Now, it sounds a bit like a little kid. And I know I'm treading thin ice here. I did tell you before that there's going to be a whole lot of preachers lined up in heaven to apologize to Peter. And I'll be in that line. But until I'm in that line. (laughs) I mean, listen, Lord, where are you going, Peter? Where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will afterwards. Why? Why? I want to go now. Now let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. Let's think the highest. At best, this is just a self-centered statement. It's a selfish statement. He's saying, why not now? I want my life with you. I want it better right now. I don't want any changes. I don't want any inconveniences. Where you're going, I'm with you. 
I'll follow you. A nine-year-old boy, his name was Aaron, he was hearing impaired. He was at home trying to watch VCR, a little rented movie. The VCR was having some glitches. He couldn't get it to work, and so he signed to his mother, spoke sign language to his mother. Uh, Mom, the VCR is broken. Please fix it. Well, Mom's on the telephone, and she signs back to him, I will fix it, but you wait till I'm off the telephone. Well, he knew that Mom can be on the telephone a long, long time. After just a few moments, the doorbell rang. Mom had to quickly bring the conversation to a close, hung up the telephone, answered the door, and it was Aaron. (laughs) And though Aaron had never heard the doorbell before, he knew how to use it as a very special tool (laughs) to get Mom's attention. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And that's, that's the position Peter the Apostle is in. Jesus is explaining something. Peter goes over, where are you going? Peter, you can't come now. Why can't I go with you? Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Now I say that's, that's at best. At worst, this is a self-promoting question. I'll explain. A self-promoting question. And a self-confident phrase afterwards, statement afterwards. I will die with you. If I need to. Self-promoting. What do I mean? Well, what had the disciples been arguing about that night? Remember? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And they fought back and forth. And perhaps Peter was thinking, this maybe is a test. Where I'm going, you can't come. Oh, I'm going to step in and prove that I can be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to say something right now. I'm going to... I'm going to say something that shows that I have courage. I'll die with you, Lord. Maybe expecting that Jesus would say to Peter what he said in Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But he doesn't. He says, Peter, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. I want you to put a marker here and go back to Mark's Gospel. Mark 14 is the rendition of what we have just read from Mark's account. He picks up a few other things that Jesus said that same night. Mark 14. Verse 27. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, they're not listening to that word, raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble. (laughs) You see what he's doing? He's insinuating, they're all going to fail you, Lord. You are right about them. But even if all are made to stumble, he says, yet... I will not be. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Now, I'm sure that Peter feels very misjudged 
at this point. It hurts when somebody makes this kind of a call. It's like he's saying, Lord, you don't know me. If you really knew me, you could never make that kind of a statement about me. Truth is, Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. Because this is exactly what happened. And Peter is still trusting in Peter. I'm Cephas, man. I'm the rock, all right? You can count on me. But Jesus was the rock of ages. And he knew what he was talking about. Peter, you know, bless his heart, right? Peter's the kind of guy who would go after Moby Dick in a rowboat. He just jumps in and he'd bring tartar sauce with him. I mean, this guy just will jump in and do anything and say anything and be very impulsive. But he's about to be very disappointed. That night will be the bitterest night in his whole life up to that point. He will deny the Lord and he will go out and weep bitterly. Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? You know why? To be disappointed in yourself means you've trusted in yourself. See, the Lord knows us completely. And we're going to see in just a few moments as we close this, that your failure doesn't take God by surprise. So it's best not to trust in yourselves. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We have a problem. All of us. It's called spiritual pride. We, we, we're all tempted by it. Self-included, we all struggle with spiritual pride. And sometimes we think we're actually better than we are and we start usurping the role of the Lord. Did you listen to what Peter said? I'm going to die for you. Wait a minute. Isn't that what Jesus was about to do for Peter? Isn't the crucifixion Jesus' job description to atone for the sins of the world? Jesus, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and I'll die with you. Uh, Peter, that's my line. You're going up a little too much here in what you think you can pull off. The greatest of faults is to be conscious of none. Walter Knight said, a growing Christian is like a church steeple. The closer he gets to heaven, the smaller he becomes in his own estimation. Peter said, I'll never blow it, Lord. Ooh, so bitter was that night for him. It's like what the mother whale said to the baby whale. The mother said to the baby, when you get to the top and you start to blow... That's when you get harpooned. And so Peter's, Lord, I'll never fail you. I'll die for you. Now let's look at the answers. Go back to John's Gospel, verse 36. Let's look at the first question and answer together. There are two answers. I've divided it up into three applications. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Notice that Jesus doesn't answer him directly, right? He's sort of cryptic about his answer, a little bit nebulous. He didn't say, well, Peter, I'm going to heaven, to my father's right hand, in the paradise of my father's house. 
In fact, I'll be crucified tomorrow. Three days later, I'll rise from the dead. Forty days, I'm going to hang around, then I'm going to ascend into heaven. You, Peter, in 67 AD, will die outside of Rome. At that point, your spirit will go to heaven and your body will await resurrection. He didn't tell him any of that. He's very cryptic. Where are you going? Well, where I am going, you can't come now. Why? Why doesn't Jesus just tell him exactly, forthrightly, where he's going? Two reasons. Reason number one, what good would it have done for Peter? Peter is not in listening mode. It would go right over Peter's head. It already did. In Matthew 16, I'm going to Jerusalem. Boys, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise. Peter didn't hear the rise. All he said is, no way, Lord. Far be it from you. He wasn't, he wasn't tuned in. Second reason is the most practical. Jesus, by these words, is implying what he expects us to do now. There's an implication. You can't go to heaven yet. You'll come later, but you can't go yet. Not now, but later. Parents, you know what that's like. You have to use that answer quite a bit with your little kids. Not now, later. Can I play? Not now, later. Can I go to the store? Not now, later. Can I drive the car? Not now, later. Can I move out of the house? Not now, later. All of those experiences are going to come. But right now, you're a kid. Just enjoy being a kid. Peter, you're a disciple. Enjoy being a disciple. You can't go to heaven yet. You can't go to heaven right now. Let's apply that. We talk about heaven. We sing about heaven. We comfort those on deathbeds about heaven. We know people who have gone to heaven. The truth is, we can't go there now. We're not ready. You say, how do you know we're not ready? Because we're here. (laughs) If we were ready, we'd be there. In God's sovereign purpose. Listen. If God's sole purpose for your life was to just keep you out of hell and get you directly to heaven, well, let's put it this way, our altar calls would be very different, wouldn't they? People would come forward, they would pray, and they just die right there. In our prayer room, well, it would be very different too. We'd staff it with morticians. Quickly embalm them. Bring out your dead, get them out. So the fact that you don't die when you receive Christ proves that God has you on earth for some other purpose. God has a task for you and I to do, a job to perform. As Jesus put it, occupy until I come. Be faithful to what I've called you to do until I come to get you. Don't worry, when you're ready, you'll leave. You'll be prepared, and heaven will be prepared for you. As Jesus says in chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And that answers all the questions. What if I get cancer? What if I get in an accident and I die? Well, then you're ready. But you won't go till you are. In fact, until you go, you are invincible. Did you know that? You are invincible. Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses during the tribulation period that perform miracles and preach the gospel. And it is recorded in Revelation 11, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, 
makes war against them and overcomes them and will kill them. Really? The beast can do that? Yeah. When they finish their testimony. And when you finish your testimony on earth, by whatever means, by whatever way the Lord chooses to take you, by rapture or by death, by disease or by an accident, it's time to go. But until then, you're invincible. And then when it is time to go, who wants to hang around anyway? Second, he says, he says, first of all, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, implies I want you to be faithful to what I've called you to do now. But you shall follow me afterwards. In other words, and that's, that's a very confident statement, your future, your distant future is settled. You shall follow me afterwards. Now, again, Peter's listening, but he's not picking up on this yet. He will later on. We'll see it in his writings. But right now he's just going, what? You're going, I can't follow you, and I'm going to come later? Why can't I come now? Peter can't fathom it. He will follow Jesus Christ, even to death. You know, uh, Peter, in 67 A.D., about 30 years after this, quite some time after this statement, Peter will be crucified, tradition says, upside down in Rome. Why upside down? Because as they were going to crucify him the normal way, he said, I want to be crucified upside down. I'm not worthy to die the death of my Savior. One of the traditions say that Peter was hassled by Caesar Nero, who wanted to kill him. And some of the Christians persuaded him to leave town. And so he took their advice and he fled as he was going to the gate of Rome. The legend says that Jesus Christ appeared to Peter. And Peter asked the same question, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus supposedly answered, I'm going back to Rome to be crucified again. And to Peter, that was the Lord telling him that he was going to die, a death of crucifixion. So he went back into the city, and they killed him. As Peter followed Jesus in life, Peter would follow Jesus in death, and Peter would follow Jesus all the way into glory. You can't follow me now, but afterwards you will. Again, notice the certainty of this statement. No hesitation here. Nothing tentative. He didn't say, now Peter, you can follow me now, but maybe, just maybe, you will someday go to heaven. Uh, Peter, if you can manage being perfect, if you wouldn't keep asking me these lame questions... If you really get to be Pope one day, then we'll see. Maybe you'll get to heaven. None of that. Just a statement of absolute confidence and assurance. You shall follow me afterwards. In other words, your future is settled. We're going to be together again in heaven one day. In fact, peek ahead with me to the next verse of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's certainty. Here's my point. Salvation for you should be a sure thing. Now, I'm aware that some of you have been taught, like perhaps I was once, 
Well, you just never know if you're going to heaven until you die. It's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that you can have absolute assurance now where you're going. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, We know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. In 1 John chapter 5, John says, I write this to you that you may know that you have eternal life. To the thief on the cross, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, if you're following Jesus now, you're going to follow him all the way to heaven. If you're following Jesus now, you're going to follow him all the way to heaven. Well, how can I know for sure? Because Jesus said so. That's how. That's how Peter knew it. Jesus said so. That's how the thief on the cross knew it. Jesus said so. So if you're a believer today, you should be able to say, I have confidence. I know where I'm going. My future is assured. Charles Spurgeon, the Victorian preacher from London, was so sure of this, he said once in his message, If you believe in Jesus Christ and are damned, then I shall be damned with you. Now let me just add something to that. If you're not sure tonight, if you would look at your life and say, you know, I don't know that I have given my life to Christ yet, if I've surrendered myself to Him, I don't know if I'm truly born again, then be sure. You don't want to leave home without it. You don't want to leave tonight without it, without that knowledge, that assurance. Now go down to verse 38. We'll get to the final answer. Jesus answered him after Peter said, Lord, why can't I go with you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me, for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter, your present faithfulness is expected. You can't go now. You're not ready. You're going to hang around for another 30 some odd years. Number two, your distant future is settled. You will get there. You will come there. But this third thing, you will deny me. This I know, Peter. You're about to have one of the worst, most bitter nights of your entire life. And you know what, Peter? It's going to surprise you. But it's not going to surprise me. Here I am predicting it. Later on that evening, when Jesus was arrested and Peter was out in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house and A girl asked Peter, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Oh, no. No, not me. Never saw him before. And she brought it up again, and he cursed and he sweared that he didn't know Jesus. This is what Luke records. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word that Jesus said, you will deny me three times. Did you get that? He had forgotten it already. Now suddenly, oh yeah, he said that. And it happened. Now, now, now Jesus looked at Peter. And I've got to believe, from what I know of Jesus' character, that it wasn't a scowl. I don't think he went... <laughs> I think it was a look of love and compassion and sorrow for what he was about to feel. 
He knew that Peter's heart would be broken and was breaking even at that moment. That look, look penetrated Peter. You know that the Lord knows all about you? The Lord can look at your life and He knows everything about you, every thought you've ever thought, everything you said this week that nobody else knows of or thought this week or did, and He still loves you. And He does accept you and He does forgive you. He knows your failures, your imperfections. They don't surprise Him. It's not like some evil surfaces in your life and God goes, "Uh uh-oh. No, wait a minute. I didn't know about that. This changes everything between us. The Bible says He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. That's what we are. He knows it. In fact, in Luke's account, and I'm just going to read it to you, the Lord said to Peter, Satan has asked for you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Implicit in that statement is, you're going to go, you're going to fail, you're going to wander off, but you're going to return, and then use the experience to strengthen others. That's restoration. In 1929, the Rolls Bowl was between two teams, Georgia Tech and the University of California. Roy Regal was out on the field. He picked up a fumbled football and he ran, but he forgot which was the right direction. Seriously. He was running toward the opposite goal within 65 yards of scoring them a touchdown. His own teammate tackled him. The next play, Georgia Tech scored the touchdown that Regal helped form. He was devastated. That was all in the first half of the game. Halftime, they all went into their locker rooms. All the team members sat on the benches. Roy Regal sat with a blanket over his head and wept like a baby. They they were wondering what Coach Price was going to do. What call would he make? And he was quiet but firm in his announcement. The team that played the first half will start in the second half. And Roy Regal said, Coach, I I couldn't do that to save my life. I ruined it for you. I failed you. I've I've ruined the, the team, the University of California. Coach put his arm on Regal's shoulder and said, That was only the first half, Roy. You got the whole second half. The game is only half over. Never has anyone played football like Roy Regal in the second half of that game, and they won. Peter, the game's only half over. You're going to fail, man, but you're going to return to me, buddy. And when you do, you strengthen your brethren. I know all about your failure, Peter. I predicted it. I know that you're not who you think you are. You need to rely on me. And you do that, Peter, in the second half. Have you failed God? Oh, everyone has. We all have. But God isn't done with you yet. Game's only half over. God has a job for you to do the rest of your life to serve Him. You might think, but I've squandered so many years. 
Okay? Then get up. Get in the game. Serve him. A man uh, was very angry with the newspaper because he read it one day and his name was in the obituaries. And he knew he wasn't dead. So he went to the um, owner of the paper and said, you know, I'm very angry. This is going to be very embarrassing to me. It could even hurt my business. I could lose a lot of business from this. And the guy said, I'm very sorry. It was a mistake. And, And it wasn't enough. The guy was fuming and kept getting angry and ranting and raving in the paper. So finally the editor tongue-in-cheek, said, tell you what, I'll put your name tomorrow in the birth column and give you a new start. How's that? (laughs) You know, the Lord will write your name in his book of life if you have squandered your life up to this point, if you let him. Jesus loves handling honest failures. Lord, take me. I need you. Uh, Forgive me. I've blown it. He can work with that. You know what's hard for him to work with? I'm the rock, all right? I'm Peter. I'm never going to do that. Never. You are in for a fall. You are leaning on yourself way too much. You should be leaning on him completely. Don't let your failure be anything but an instruction to you. Let it be your teacher, not your undertaker. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we close tonight this service, it's wonderful for us to know just how much you knew about Peter in advance. These questions, but these great answers, you expect us to be faithful. We can't go to heaven yet. We're not ready for heaven yet. We have a job to do right here. One day will be our time, and when it is our time, we're going there. You promised it for those who follow you now. We'll follow you into heaven. And Lord, some of us who are disappointed with ourselves, we must confess that it's because we've trusted in ourselves. I pray, Father, that our confidence would be would be the kind of confidence that comes from leaning hard, not standing on our own two feet, but leaning hard on you as our master. Thank you, Lord, that you anticipate times of imperfection and failure as well as returning and restoration.